This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. WBBM News Time, 12.03. It's great to have you with us for the Thursday edition of the Noon Business Hour. I'm Cisco Cotto. The Noon Business Hour is presented by Republic Bank of Chicago. It's Technology Thursday. Microsoft is going to be sending augmented reality headsets to troops out in the field. Right now, a report on manufacturing is out today, along with the latest look at jobless claims. We're joined by Peter Cardillo, chief market economist at Spartan Capital Securities in New York. Peter, good to have you back with us. Let's talk about the jobless claims, higher than expected. How are they looking and what do you make of it? Yeah, they, they were higher than expected, but, you know, if you look at the uh, numbers closely, you'll see that they're at the lowest level since the pandemic started. So um, I think it uh, was a non-event for the, for the markets today, and that basically uh, going forward, we'll see improvement as the economy continues to open. And is there an expectation that we'll, we'll, we'll kind of have ups and downs, right? It's not going to be a straight path back to the employment we had a year and a half ago. Exactly. And, you know, there's always some factor in there, whether it be weather related or perhaps a holiday or whatever. Um, these numbers seem to uh, be somewhat erratic. But as we go forward and as the economy opens, I think we'll get a steady downward uh, decline. And um, in fact, we'll probably see a very good um, labor report tomorrow. Um, the economy probably added um, a little over 400,000, possibly even 500,000. And uh, that should continue as the economy explodes uh, in the second quarter and the third quarter. Do you see a benefit to those stimulus checks that went out, some of them still going out, uh, along with the extra unemployment support? Do you see that as a positive here over the next several months? Absolutely. No question about it. And uh, if you look at the uh, confidence numbers that we saw earlier in the week, uh, they reached some pretty uh, high levels, and that suggests that uh, consumer spending is going to increase in a big way. Let's talk about the manufacturing index. Uh, kind of give us the thumbnail sketch of what we're seeing there and also what you make of it. Oh, it's very positive. Uh, you know, the index reached the 37-year high, 64.7. Uh, basically, this uh, um, is really good news. And I think this is one of the reasons why we're seeing a good market today. And uh, um, basically, uh, this means that uh, uh, the economy is uh, going to uh, uh, roar ahead on all gears. And, uh, and you know, the manufacturing sector uh, for many years was missing in action. And now it's come back uh, very strongly. Um, that means uh, increased global trade as well. Thank you so much. Really good insight. That's Peter Cardillo. He is chief market economist at Spartan Capital Securities.
Just ahead, an exploration of digital art and the use of non-fungible tokens to experience it. The rise of new media art includes digital works and also the use of non-fungible tokens known as NFTs. Adrian Stein is a new media artist, creator of the Quantum Mirror, located at Artspace Number 8 at 900 North Michigan Avenue Shops. Uh, Adrian, it's good to have you here. Help us to wrap our brains around this. NFTs, uh, digital artwork being sold, it's something that seems new. It seems like we're just hearing about it in the last few months, and yet it's taking off. Help us to understand exactly what it is. Yeah, it would be my pleasure, Cisco. First of all, thank you so much for having me. And it's definitely really exciting as an artist to be part of this movement. And I know that it's uh, something that feels very new, but it's actually riding off of a technology, off of a cryptocurrency that's been pretty much uh, in use for the last 10 years. And what an NFT is, is that it uses the, the blockchain in order to create a contract of ownership for digital art. So it allows digital artists like myself to be able to plug into that market where we have scarcity of our works. There are only a limited amount of people that can own them. And uh, therefore, we can raise value for, for the work that we put in to these digital pieces. So you create digital work, you sell it in an NFT, these non-fungible tokens. It allows you to make money. Now, on the other end, it allows someone, if they want, they can sell it. Or either way, it gets displayed, right, where people get to enjoy your artwork? Yes, exactly. So it, it, this is fairly a new technology as well. So the display aspect of things is still being very much worked out. But it basically allows collectors to be the only ones who really own this piece, right? They, not only do they get the bragging rights, but they also get the value of having that piece in the same way that you have the value of having a painting, which there is only one of, or an edition of prints, which there are only 10 of. It's the equivalent of, uh, you know, say you own the Mona Lisa. Well, it's one thing to own it and allow people to come to Paris to see it. It's another thing to own it and allow people all around the world to see it online. Exactly, exactly. And that this actually, cutting into that, it allows um, auction houses and it allows collections to fraction off the paintings that they have in collection into, let's say, 100,000 fractions, and all of a sudden you open the market of investment into art into a really wide number of people, um, which was at, at one point inaccessible. So really at the, at the footprint of all of this is the concept of accessibility and decentralization. When it comes to, uh, to digital art, uh, one, one of the things I think some skeptics have said is, okay, so you create a piece of digital artwork, you put it in an NFT, you sell it, but then they say, well, what, what's to stop you from creating another piece of digital artwork that is maybe very close to that other piece and selling it off? I mean, I'm just, it's one of the things that people have brought up as a potential challenge of this. Yeah, and this is something that art historically has been a challenge with something like the works of Andy Warhol, where he took a picture um, that that was he found in a newspaper and an album cover and printed it in five different colors. Right? It right. is, I think, the the aspect of being able to own a piece of that artist that makes it really lucrative. Um, and and you know, and, and this is something that goes collector to collector, right? And it is something that has to do with the essential and intrinsic value of that singular piece. Of course, when Andy Warhol created, at the time, those 10 prints of the same face in different colors, having 10 colors, in a way, does lower the value of the singular piece. But, you know, we're, we're looking at Andy Warhol now, uh, almost 60 years in the future, and his works are, are 
worth millions now, you know, even though there are multiples. Yeah, so a lot of this um, depends on who the artist is, right? And, I mean, if no one wants your art, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how many different <laughs> variations you have. Exactly, exactly. So is this easier then for artists to be able to make money on their work? I mean, that's one of the main things. The phrase starving artist is because it's often so hard for people to sell things. Yes, exactly. And so it does present a really beautiful opportunity for the market as a whole, especially for the artists to to track that value, right? And to be able to even have royalties where every sale of their work allows for an amount of money to flow into the artist. And, um, and, you know, and th- this has been a dilemma for a long time, especially in digital art, because we are the ones who craft the, the digital landscape aesthetically, right? Like without us, you know, the world would be bleak and gray and, and blocked out. And, uh, and so, so, yeah, it, it, gives, it gives us accessibility and gives us a way to tap into the market. So you have this... writing uh, off of... Uh, sorry about that. You, you have this... Uh, I want people to understand Quantum Mirror. Uh, 300 square feet, an immersive installation. Uh, kind of help us to understand if people stop by and they want to see Quantum Mirror, what, what exactly is it? Help us to understand it. Absolutely. So Quantum Mirror, like you said, is a 300 square foot installation that has uh, ceiling to floor mirrors. It's about 150 mirrored surfaces with a group of three screens in the, in the middle of it that, where the three screens are hosting my NFTs, and those NFTs are essentially lighting up the space, creating all of the reflections and movements in the space. And when you walk in, you're all of a sudden immersed in what would be a visual um, analogy to the networked nature of, NL, of NFTs, right? Because you're just in this infinity room with millions of reflections of mirror images of the three original NFTs that are in the in the center of it. Uh, sounds fascinating. It's going on at 900 North Michigan Avenue, Art Space Number Eight. It's called Quantum Mirror. Adrian Stein is the creator of it. Thanks so much for being with us, Adrian. Just ahead, movie theaters are again welcoming customers. Studios. That means they're releasing potential blockbusters that have just been sitting on the shelf. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The battle to get moviegoers back into theaters includes two heavyweight competitors, Godzilla and King Kong. Paul Dergarabedian is joining us, senior media analyst for the box office tracking company Comscore in L.A. Uh, Paul, uh, let's see, more than $9 million. People want to go back to the movies. I think they do, Cisco. It's pretty interesting that uh, this film is available right now on HBO Max at home, just a click away. Yet people, consumers are choosing and movie fans are choosing to go to the movie theater. $9.6 million uh, for Wednesday on this film. That could portend a first five days, Wednesday through Sunday, of over $30 million, potentially. This, if it does over t- around $20 million just for the weekend, Friday through Sunday, that'll be the biggest opening since the, the pandemic shut down theaters about a year and two weeks ago. And the, for you have not only, obviously, movie studios love this, but the theaters that have been on life support, I mean, this is fantastic news for them. It is because they need big movies. Theaters need movies to bring people, to draw them to the multiplex. And right now, according to our Comscore data, we're looking at over 3,000 theaters open in the U.S. 56% are open. That doesn't sound like a lot, but it is compared to where we were several weeks and months ago. So I think we're on track now to finally get over the 60% of theaters open this weekend with Godzilla. I think this is a great 
sign for the industry. We have a long road to travel to get back to normal box office, but this is a great indicator of audience enthusiasm for that movie theater experience. Yeah, because there have been some that had wondered, okay, is the movie theater going away now and everyone's got a big TV in their house, they can get it streamed, maybe they don't need theaters. There's just something about that experience, though. There is. It's very singular. There's nothing like it. People have been cooped up at home. This is, uh, you know, I think the idea that the movie theater would go the way of the dinosaurs. I mean, Godzilla's back and the movie theaters are back and Kong is back. So that's really good. It's a big part of our lives. I think it's baked into our collective DNA to want to go to that communal environment of the movie theater. And now that that's becoming more of a reality, both in terms of safety and health, and in terms of the movies, the big movies that are here and that are coming out in the future, we may actually get a summer movie season after all, Cisco. Could be a Hollywood ending. Yeah, right. It's something that a lot of people have been waiting for and hoping for. Thank you. That's Paul Dergarabedian. He's a senior media analyst for the box office tracking company Comscore. Still ahead, Technology Thursday, the U.S. Army is turning augmented reality into a tool for its soldiers. This is Chicago's all-news station, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Cisco Cotto. Thanks for joining us. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. It's not quite baseball weather, but the Cubs are opening their season at Wrigley Field this afternoon. There's encouraging word about the effectiveness of a COVID vaccine against a virus variant. North Suburban-based Abbott Labs has been authorized to sell an over-the-counter rapid home test for coronavirus. It's Technology Thursday. Microsoft signs a lucrative contract with the U.S. military to provide augmented reality headsets. On Wall Street, the Dow is up 156 points. The Nasdaq is up 181, and the S&P is up 36 points. Oil is up 3%. We have sunshine in Chicagoland right now, 36 degrees, with a wind chill that makes it feel like 28 degrees. The Cubs fans who managed to grab socially distanced tickets to the team's home opener today say it's like a family reunion. WBBM's Rob Hart is at the ballpark. The din of activity is returned to Wrigley Field for the first time since September 22, 2019, the last pre-pandemic home game. This is the 26th home opener for Yvette Roland of Chicago, who brought a thick blanket to complement two layers of clothing. It feels like home, you know? It's like, it's like home. <laughs> Alyssa Schubert of Marengo said she had tears in her eyes as she approached the ballpark. The Cubs are like their community team, like they're our heart and soul around here. Her sister Audrey says she missed baseball so much that she doesn't care about the weather conditions that are better suited for a Bears game. I don't care at all. It could be negative 20 degrees and I'd still come and watch this game. Rob Hart, News Radio 105.9 FM. The White Sox open their season in Anaheim tonight. Pfizer and its German partner BioNTech are reporting trials suggest their COVID vaccine is effective against the strain of the virus that first emerged in South Africa. The pharmaceutical firms say 12,000 people involved in their Phase 3 trial experienced high levels of protection against coronavirus six months after their first dose, or their second dose rather, with no serious safety concerns. The vaccine received emergency use authorization by the FDA in December. It's 1232. 
Investing 60 minutes each weekday toward planning for the future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The Noon Business Hour is presented by Republic Bank of Chicago. Markets are rising. The Dow up 166 points. The NASDAQ up 184. And the S&P is up 37 points. Let's see what's going on. Lou Stanisalvich, President, CEO, Legend Financial Advisors in Pittsburgh is joining us. Lou, always good to have you on the show. What do you make of what you're seeing on Wall Street today? Well, I, I think gen- things are generally positive uh, for the most part. Uh, interest rates have retrenched ever so slightly. Um, the markets are definitely heading up, including the tech names, uh, and uh, just just like yesterday, basically. Um, but it's uh, you know for the longer term, uh, you need to probably if you're going to invest in anything that's. Uh, uh, debt-related, meaning the bonds or uh, variable rates or whatever, invest in the variable rates, okay, in, in the event that interest rates continue to rise. Um, in terms of the tech areas, the things that have been working the best, the best three in, in, uh, industries are energy, uh, financials, and semiconductors, uh, at least so far this year. And uh, so we we do expect to see other things come on as the year goes on, but uh, certainly those have been the leaders so far. But not uh, it's not like they're up. Well, energy's up a lot, but the others aren't as much. Talk a little bit more about rising interest rates and how rising rates that sort of an environment makes some stocks more attractive and some stocks maybe less attractive. Well, there's no question. Um, those are that. Uh, those that have rising rates uh, or interest that do better with it, rising interest rates are those that uh, will have a more of a yield on their stock generally. Okay. Um, on the other hand, uh, and hopefully those yields will improve as the economy improves, which we do expect the economy to improve probably to the tune of five to six percent gross domestic product increases by the end of this year. Uh, and that will continue into next year as well, uh, at least in the first quarter. So, um, you know, we're, we're pretty positive on that. However, uh, we would not, uh, we look at utilities just like a bond or preferred stocks like a bond. I'm talking about buying uh, true common equities that have rising interest rates or, or dividend rates that will uh, participate better in the market as time goes on. Seeing tech stocks, the, the NASDAQ, really the biggest winner here two days in a row, uh, is that a good thing? The reason I'm asking, are you thinking that tech was already maybe overvalued, rightly valued? Is it good that we're seeing two days in a row of pretty healthy increases? Well, what we had was, uh, and we're still in the midst of what's called a dip. A dip is a decline of 5 to 10%. Some tech uh, has gone down as much as 30% uh, in and, and lesser amounts, but uh, the economy, or I'm sorry, the markets are starting to turn around ever so slightly, uh, and, and so we expect to see uh, better improvements. But dips usually don't last very long. They're down for anywhere from one to three months on average, uh, and since 1900, there's been three dips a year. Thanks so much. Good insight. That is Lou Stanisolovich, president and CEO of Legend Financial Advisors. Just ahead, Technology Thursday. 
putting video game tech to military use. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Technology Thursday. Microsoft is going to deliver more than 120,000 headsets to the U.S. Army. They are based on augmented reality innovations. Joining us with the details, Matt Wren, co-founder and chief technology officer at Bundle AR here in Chicago. Uh, Matt, for people not familiar, before we talk about Microsoft and the Army, uh, tell us, augmented reality, kind of give us a thumbnail sketch. What is it? Yeah, augmented reality at, at its really sort of basic level is just placing digital information within the context of the physical world. So it's overlaying data on what you see. So how now is Microsoft using this in the U.S. military? Well, so Microsoft has had a contract previously with the U.S. military for their HoloLens. And I did, from the looks of this, it just looks like, a, you know, those probably prototypes or tests were successful. And now they're looking to expand the relationship. So when it comes to these headsets, I mean, I don't know if the military talks about this or not. How, how is this going to be used in battle? Well, I mean, if you think about it with the military, battle's one component, but augmented reality, it's really useful for a lot of things. It's useful for training. It's useful for field support in things like maintenance. Battle's another, you know, battle's another use case where you can, you know, help them, help a soldier perhaps, you know, determine friend from foe, things like that. But being able to place, you know, just in time, in context information into somebody's field of view can help them in a ton of different ways. And it shows how the technology, uh, technology obviously has always changed warfare, but it shows you just sort of the latest move and, and how things are going to be uh, better in warfare. And I mean, I guess we could say, you know, maybe even more targeted in warfare compared to how it was 100 years ago. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, augmented reality with the military is not not new. Fighter pilots in the Air Force have had heads up displays in you know, the cockpits of airplanes for years and even more recently in their helmets themselves. The fact that Microsoft is now putting it, in, you know, on a soldier who's walking around, that, that was the thing that was harder in the past was, you know, you, you had to have something to be able to carry the computer equipment that could do it. Now it can literally fit on something the size of a helmet. So this is uh, military, uh, you know, the, the way that they're using it. Uh, in the general population, we, we've thought of augmented reality as just fun and games. You know, it kind of started with, uh, with Pokemon. Uh, are we at all on the cusp of more practical uses of augmented reality, or, or right now is it still gaming? We're actually way beyond just being on the edge of it. There's a lot of companies that have been adopting augmented reality at, in a commercial sense, you know, in everything from manufacturing to training, Toyota and Boeing, they've been doing uh, manufacturing with augmented reality for a long time. Uh, with, at Bundle AR, we do a lot with training, with corporate training, everything from, you know, just things that would normally be training that was done by PowerPoint. You can provide a lot more context by using augmented reality and being able to have people have 3D context of something they're learning within their physical presence. It's really exciting technology. As you mentioned, no longer on the cusp, it is now the reality. That's Matt Wren, co-founder, chief technology officer at Bundle AR here in Chicago. That's Technology Thursday, this time tomorrow, Entrepreneur Friday. Still to come, consumers will soon be able to buy over-the-counter rapid coronavirus tests. Cashing in with conversation. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Locally based, Abbott Labs is one of two companies approved for a new home COVID test. Let's get the details from Bruce Japson, Chicago-based healthcare writer for Forbes. Uh, Bruce, tell us about the Abbott test. 
Well, this is the latest in an evolution of Abbott Diagnostics. Um, you know, generally, you know, they're one of the biggest, the world's biggest makers of diagnostic tests. But when it comes to testing for COVID-19, um, they've gone from, you know, they have the big hospital reference ta- lab test, which, of course, that all began about a year ago. Then and, 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 and I believe it was uh, April, they got a test approved for their uh, point of care test, which that appeared on the White House lawn. And now we're getting into what Robert Ford, the CEO, wants is so people can, you know, test themselves at home, just much like someone's getting a pregnancy test. And the the company's strategy here is to have tests everywhere, you know, maybe so you could buy one at O'Hare Airport uh, and test yourself before you get on a plane or, you know, massive testing, which uh, President Biden has talked about. Um, that's that's not so expensive where you have to buy like a, a fairly sizable machine, but you can do these kind of tests in a school or in a workplace. And I think I think that's where we're headed. And they you know they view these developments in tests. I mean, listen, if it's uh, not expensive, you know, cost a few dollars or whatever uh, to get a test. Uh, you, you can go out and test yourself. I mean, there are certainly some small issues, but, you know, maybe it's not accurate or whatever, but at least you get some peace of mind like you do with a pregnancy test or other tests out there. So this is a good thing as we hopefully near the end of the pandemic, um, but it'll be good going forward when we have um, other outbreaks and things like that. Any idea uh, yet? Uh, well, no, actually, I mean, cost is is fairly cheap. And so that's been one of the worries, right, is that you'd get an at-home test, but it would cost you 200 bucks or something, so no one would use it? Exactly, exactly. I mean, and if you're, you know, you're you're seeing more and more of these these tests uh, cost, cost a few dollars um, or, or even less, you know, where if you can go to the drugstore and get one or you can you know, order one, um, you know, off of Amazon or wherever, um, you know, that, that's a good thing. I mean, it's just some sort of peace of mind, especially, you know, even if people are vaccinated, uh, let's let's face it, people are going to be a little apprehensive before they, you know, hold their summer barbecue or, or holidays this, this fall. And wouldn't it be nice if you could just t- test yourself at home before you go somewhere and just, you know, for a, a double check and that it wasn't expensive, which is a great thing. Really good insight. Thanks so much. That's Bruce Japson. You can hear Bruce's reports on health Monday evenings and Saturday mornings here on News Radio. If you missed any part of today's noon business hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app. T Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.